The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome, welcome, good morning, and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from my house and from several other places around the world this morning, which is very exciting. I'm so excited about our guest today, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, and I'm, I'm fingers are crossed um, because it is an international Zoom call, and this may or may not be his first time on Zoom, So, um, but he was like, I can do it, I can do it, and I know that he can, but well, let's hope that he is able to, let's, let's pray to the, the internet, uh, ethera, whatever it is, that it works out, because he's super fabulous and awesome. So I'm Shannon Penrod, and I am excited to be here with you this morning, and most of the mornings, right? <laughs> uh, I am a, a, a proud mom, of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. That is my credential for being here. And because I care so much about and love so many people, including, but starting most importantly, my son, uh, folks that are on the autism spectrum. And I wanna welcome all of you. We welcome the larger autism community here that starts with the individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum. And we wanna help them with the things that they are interested in, whether it's support or resources or just information, we wanna help them. But we also welcome everyone who loves those individuals and wants to see those individuals prosper and have the same rights and dignities as everyone should have. Doesn't necessarily have, but the one, the, what, what that everyone should have. So that's what we're here about here. Our mission is to provide information and inspiration Sometimes we don't know what you need, which is why we encourage you to interact with us. This entire show is meant to be interactive. We hope that you will participate. If you are watching us live right now, you're probably watching us on YouTube, Facebook. You might be watching us on Twitter or Periscope or on our homepage, autism-live.com. Each and every one of those has a way to interact. Although right now with our current configuration, we're encouraging you if you're live to interact with us on Facebook and YouTube. It seems to be the fastest way. Now, if you're not watching live, you can participate in any way. And we try to check all of those resources, including I encourage you to write questions to me at my personal uh, email for the show, which is s.penrod at autism-live.com. I'm going to spell that out because some of you are listening to us. So that's s as in sam.penrod, which is spelled p as in Peter, e as in elephant, n as in Nancy, r as in robot, o as in Oscar, d as in dog, at autism. I know you know how to spell that. But then there is a little hyphen. That's the dash, the thing that goes in the middle, right? 
then live, L as in lollipop, I as in igloo, V as in Victor, E as in elephant. I guess we're supposed to say egg. I think that's the appropriate for E. So E as in egg.com, s.penrod at autism-live.com. And I mentioned that if you're not watching us live, you might be watching, you might be listening to us on iTunes. You might be watching us on iTunes. We are a free download there. You might be listening to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Deezer, or Ghana. We are podcasting to all of those places. It's a free download and we are getting ready to be on Google Music as well. Is it Google Music or is it Amazon Music? I get confused. But if there is a, a, a way that you listen to your podcast and we are not there right now, please let us know. We'd be happy to foray into that and see if we can make that happen. Our general rules of thumb are that we need to be a place where people can download it for free. We want that to be no cost to you uh, and that um, that it, it be something that somebody is interested in seeing. But other than that, you know, we're, we're all good to go. So thrilled to be here with you this morning. It's Thursday and we've had a really big week. If you didn't catch the interview we did with Temple Grandin, I know some people wrote in and they're like, you keep interrupting and I did apologize. It's very hard to tell in the, in the Zoom when to jump in and what not to. And um, I have a particular interest when we're talking to Temple. I want her to answer as many of your questions as we can, but I also want for you to see Temple who she is as a person. And uh, so my focus in, in doing interviews with her is to make it as conversational as possible because for years I was doing interviews and watching other people do interviews with Temple and I would always think, oh, it's such a crying shame. They don't get to see her. Um, they don't get to like see who she is when you're just sitting around in a restaurant with her and, you know, chatting. And I, that it, it takes a, a little bit of investment in, you know, spending some time with her so that she feels comfortable being that way. So, you know, write and tell me if you're like, no, I don't want to hear, <laughs> but I loved that by the end of that hour, you got to see, cause somebody wrote in earlier in the week and said, why doesn't Temple ever smile? And I was like, no, this is horrible. Temple smiles all the time and she laughs and she guffaws and she giggles. And if you missed it at the end of the show, when she cracked me up so hard and cracked up herself that we couldn't breathe for a second, you should check that out because you will get to meet Temple, the woman. That's who she really is. You know, you go and you see like a politician or somebody who speaks and you go, I wonder what they're really like. Uh, I think when people meet me, they're like, oh, she's exactly like that's What you see here is what I am. So anyway, uh, I think sometimes I'm a little more cheerful for you guys than I, my husband would argue that. Anyway, good morning. We're saying good morning. And you guys can be writing in right now on Facebook and YouTube and, and Trayvon is sending them over to me. So good morning, Michelle. Thank you for writing in. Uh, okay, so it is Thursday. I do like to remind all of you a couple of things that we have lots of experts that are here on the show. I'm not one of them. Let's be abundantly clear about that. But as I said, I have a vested interest in this community and a love for this community, for all the folks in this larger autism community. And I wanna help you to get to what you need and what you want. I want you to feel that there are a lot of people, not just me, but that you are not alone, that as a group of people, we are vast and different and unique and everybody needs something different. This is not a cookie cutter tribe, right? But this is a tribe and it's strong. And you're not alone. 
you know what I always say, we hold hands virtually. Si se puede. Okay, uh, but I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm here to sort of connect you to the experts. Think of me as an old fashioned telephone switchboard. That's, that's what I wanna be for you. So write in with what your things are and let's see if we can't solve them. Be patient. We can't, we can't get to all of the questions anymore. And I, sometimes that keeps me up at night, but I hope that we get to the ones that are persistent. So if you don't get your question answered the first time, please, please write in again. Uh, okay, we also like to start Thursdays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, we try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Yada, yada, yada. And we've been talking about play the last two weeks, mainly because I've been working on the toy guide for this year and taking some of your suggestions and, and putting them in as winners. This, uh, the toy guide is really meant to be a, so that when you're like, I don't know what to get. It's supposed to be something that gives you ideas and helps you to see, oh, well, you know, my child is seven and I, I want something that will help to spark their imagination and that will help spark language. And I, I want it to be something that isn't on the screen. And by the way, there, everything that's in this toy guide, there's nothing that's screen time. Well, there's one thing that would eventually involve screen time, but it's, it's proactive, not passive. You know what I mean? So, and it's one of my favorites. Uh, but I, I really want it to be something that sparks your imagination and gives you ideas. So, and helps you to tell other people in your life if they're looking for a toy for your child, I really picture grandparents being able to use it and going, hey, hadn't thought about that. That would probably be a good toy for this individual. And I also wanna give some shout outs to just toys in general and toy makers because there are some amazing things that they are making. Some of them are specifically designed for our kiddos on the spectrum and a lot of them are not. And yet they're fabulous for our kids. So we, so that's why we've been talking about toys in the middle of September, because I am, I am toy-centric right now. But toys and play do have the ability to teach our kids lots of things. So we've been going through lots of different types of play. Last week, we talked about functional pretend play. And the other day, we talked about symbolic play. So these are sort of stepping stones to get us here, where I know you all want to be, which is an imaginative play. Parents write into me all the time and say, my child doesn't, doesn't have an imagination. My child doesn't play with imagination. They don't know what to do with imagination. How do I get there? So we start with a functional pretend play. We move on to symbolic play. And now we have reached the, the castle in the sky imaginative play. So let's look at what that is. And then we'll talk about what the differences between the three are. Imaginative play, using imagination to create objects, locations, scenarios, and situations where they do not already exist for the purpose of play. Now, normally I like to make fun of our initial uh, um, definition. There's nothing to be made fun of here because uh, this is it. This is, you know, it's when you're using your imagination to create something that doesn't exist. But still, let's water it down just a little bit more and see what our working definition is. And it is, bum, ba, da, bum, uh, making it up, making it up. And if you doubt for a second how important this is to your child's development or your teenager's development or your adult's development, let me take a second here to say to you, 
you know, what are the things that your child, teen or an adult is struggling with? And I'm going to guess flexibility. Well, this is a great way to work on flexibility, right? Um, not having a social life and having friends or, or getting a friend and losing the friend. Guess where you work on that? Imaginative play, right? Um, that the, the, the person is uh, bored and gets into trouble when they're bored or starts something when they're bored, right? That isn't productive. Imaginative play has anxiety that they, you know, they have, they're so paralyzed with anxiety and they don't know what to do with anxiety. Guess what helps with that imaginative play? So um, it's never too late to go back and look at imaginative play. And, you know, if you doubt that and you're like, well, I don't really know how to do that with a teenager. I don't really know how to do that with an adult. Put them in an acting class. And I know it's COVID. And you're like, well, great, Shannon. Thanks for giving me a suggestion that I can't really go and do anything about, except eh, that's not right. Because right now, due to COVID, most of the places that do acting classes with anyone, but especially the individuals who are on the autism spectrum, have moved all of that online. So places like Spectrum Laboratories, um, you know, we had David Zimmerman from Meet the Biz. He's still doing stuff online. Um, Elaine Hall over at the Miracle Project is uh, doing stuff online. They're doing all kinds of stuff at the Ed Asner Family Center. How about at the Theatricum Botanicum? Okay, stop the presses for just a second. I got an email. My son took classes there this summer. Love them. Um, and I got an email from them the other day saying that they're building off the summer and they have a class that is any, you know, pretty much any age and a whole family can take it. And it's all about teaching stage uh, sword combat using lightsabers and things and toilet paper tubes and things that you have around the house. And they're saying it's hilarious and great fun. Well, that's imaginative play, right? And, and it will help with stress and connection and communication and eye contact. You know, I mean, like all of these crazy things. So um, some of the things that I'm spouting off to you, there's a cost to them. Um, that, you know, there, there is a fee to participate in the class and, and, but at the Ed Asner Family Center, everything that they do online is free, but they're taking donations right now because they're not going to be able to do that forever unless people donate. So, uh, anyway, imaginative. So let's go back to, you start with that functional pretend play and you get the little, uh, vacuum cleaner that looks like a vacuum cleaner, but it's a toy vacuum cleaner. Okay. And you're vacuuming and your child is vacuuming. Woohoo. Wonderful. That's teaching, learning through uh, imitation, which is the basis of everything that they will learn. It's fabulous. And they're learning how to play. And play may start out to feel like work, but we reinforce it. Eventually, we find that it is stress relieving. Then from functional pretend play, as we said the other day, we move on to symbolic play. And so, you know, if I had a, a functional pretend play that was a cell phone, it would look just like a cell phone, but it's not a cell phone right? But it looks just like, and it goes beep, 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 beep. That's the functional pretend play. When we get to symbolic play, we pick up something that is not a cell phone, but you know, it's sort of the same shape, right? And we push buttons on it and we make it, you know, and then we go, hello. And now we've endowed it with qualities that make it symbolic play. This is great for building up 
uh, flexibility and for opening the doors to creativity because, and, and look, it doesn't have, this looks suspiciously like a phone. I can pick up a Kleenex box and go, hello? Oh, it's for you, right? Kids will freak out when you first do that, but then they love it, right? So the next phase is imaginative play where anything goes. I can pick up a fake phone and I can go, hi, oh, 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 it's the phone. It's grandma, it's for you. Do you wanna take it now? I'll tell her that you're busy and we'll do it after lunch, right? And then you hang it up or you push the button and hang it up. I'm old school. Uh, so anything can be anything in imaginative play, uh, absolutely anything. And for, for some of our kiddos, this is hard in the beginning. And it's really gonna take a while to work with them. But I want you to consider if you don't work with this, uh, uh, with them when they're four and you go, oh, I don't think it's gonna stress them out and I don't wanna stress them out. So when will we work on it? Will we work on it when they're five? Will we work on it when they're six? Will we wait until they're 13? Will we wait until they're 38? The truth of the matter is, is that we can do it at any point, but once you give this skill to a child and they, they take this and they, they do it here and they do it there and they do it there, and then they go, oh, I can do this all over the place. When you watch them generalize this into their world, it will change how you look at your child because you, we all want that insight of what is thinking, what is he thinking, what is she thinking, what's going on in their head. Right, and you will see this start to emerge by the way they play. I remember being so mystified by this, you know, and my son, uh, you know, teaching him to play, and he, and it was just so hard, right? And it, and I got to be honest, it bummed me out because I love toys, have always been a big one for toys, and the fact that my child didn't really, he wasn't interested in toys, or he wasn't interested in the way that I thought he would be interested in that. I didn't know what to do with that. And I remember after he was getting services for, I guess, a year, because the first year we were at home and then the second year, uh, they decided he was ready to go to preschool part-time. And I went to pick him up at school and they had those little educational, they look like little C-clips and you can clip them together and you can make a chain, right? And my son had um, decided to clip them all together. They had a playhouse in the, there was like a play yard and a playhouse in his preschool. It was really cool. And with a play kitchen and all that. Functional pretend play, right? Well, he grabbed one of the other little boys. I'll never forget, his name was Jalen. And he said, Jalen, help me. And they, they started making a really long chain. And the teachers had no idea what they were doing. Um, and thought, well, they just really want to make a long chain. And then, and Jem was still struggling to have enough language to communicate with the general kids, but he had a connection with Jalen, his little buddy. And uh, so that, and, and he kept saying, add more, add more, add more. And nobody could figure out why. And finally he said, uh, okay, now, and by this point now there's like two or three kids that are helping out. They're like, I don't know what they're doing, but it looks cool. Uh, and he's on, you could tell he was on a mission. Apparently I wasn't there, but then he said, okay, now we need to carry it all into the play yard. And he said, they're, they're Christmas lights. And he, so they decorated the whole outside of the house and around the yard with the Christmas lights, which was, I was like, oh my goodness. And the teacher was like, do you understand like how great this skill is that he has this? And uh, and that he could visualize it and that he took, and he took it, I mean, it was so many, it was executive functions. He was like, I got it. And that suspiciously, because <laughs> my son 
it was exactly the length that it needed to be to cover the house and around the fence of the play yard without him having measured it. Uh, and he had kept saying to them, make it longer, make it longer, but it was exactly the right length because he has that sort of spatial visual brain thing going on, which I can't even, I can't even begin to understand. But when our kiddos um, are able to play in this way, he had more friends because of it. Um, and it was reinforcing for him. So then the next day, you know, he was off doing something else. I think that was when they, he, uh, he decided that the play structure that they played on was a rocket ship and that, so they would play blast off and rocket ship and, um, and he learned, oh, you know, this is a way that you can connect with other kids. So it helps with so many different things. Uh, when would now be a good time to Something start? Else. So, and, and I think now is the time to work on that. No matter what age your child is, make sure that you are doing these kinds of play with them. Even if you're just starting with functional pretend play, get them a functional pretend play toy and then, then monkey with it and see, and you'll see right away that your kids will be like, no. Uh, even kids who are nonverbal will be like, no. If you start, if you pick up the, the toy pan from the kitchen and you go, oh, is this a sandwich? I'm gonna eat it. And they'll be like, no, no, you're doing it wrong. But then they might start to laugh. And what a great way to learn. So imaginative play, have at it. It's really good. And I can't wait for you to see the toy guide. We're thinking November 1st is when it's gonna come out. All right, let's move on to our question of the day and see what we got going on for you there. Cause I have no idea what I put. Oh, what would you do with a gift of a hundred thousand dollars? This is a little game that I like to play with myself. Whenever something's going on, it's just kicking my keister. You know, you know what I mean when you're just like, oh, it's all bad. Uh, usually I like to go and buy a lottery ticket. And then for two days, I will imagine, okay, if, and I'll change the dollar amount. So if I had this amount of money, what would I do with it? I will tell you, and this is a measure of who I am. It's never like, oh, I'd put that in the bank and save it. <laughs> Just never even occurs to me. I like to play the idea of, you know, somebody gives you a hundred thousand dollars and they tell you a 24 hours to gift it and donate it and what would you do with it and at the end of 24 hours you're going to be judged on how much impact did you make in the world like that's the kind of thing that's the kind of fantasy people talk about oh i fantasized that i was laying on a beach in aruba um and if that's your thing that is your thing but this is my thing like okay if i had a hundred thousand dollars to do good with and i only had 24 hours to do it like what would i do what charities would i give it to what autism mom would I pay off her bills so that she could just breathe, right? Um, so what would you do if you had a gift of $100,000? My problem is, is that I always, like, I'll think and I'll go, okay, I'll do this, this. Oh, I need more money than $100,000. <laughs> and then I go, all right, let's make it a million. Okay, well, oh, a million is not going to do it. I think I need to have $100 million. There isn't enough money in the world um, to do all the things that I would, that I think all of us would love to do, right? But it's a nice little stress relief it's an imaginative play, right? And I, I love, you know, when uh, um, coaches talk about our states and managing our states and, and that, you know, Abraham Lincoln said that most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. And that it really isn't about how much you have, it's about what you're feeling right now. And if you say to me that I've got $100,000 to give away, I'm immediately excited. <laughs> Like whatever's bugging me, 
I'm like, oh, okay, this is what I would do. And I walk around for at least an hour feeling like I've, I've got money to give away. Uh, and that's okay with me. That's probably happier than I would be if somebody gave me the $100,000 to give away, because then you have responsibility. Uh, so, but what would you do? What would you do if you had a gift of $100,000? And you don't have to spend it on other people. You could spend it on something for yourself. Would you go on a vacation? Would you, like, where would you go now, right? It's uh, a valid question. Where would you go now? Because uh, I would love to take my son to Scotland, but, you know, it's not on the table right now. So let's hope that next year when he graduates, it will be. All right, uh, moving on. We always have a topic of the week. And our topic is enjoying the passage of time. I hope that you spent a little time this week thinking about that and thinking, okay, and if you haven't, start today saying, what can I do today that would be just make me so filled with joy? Um, how can I make today the best day ever? Because our brains are filled with, our brains are supercomputers that are always gonna answer the question, yes, right? So if you're asking the question about, isn't it terrible? We've been stuck um, in this quarantine and I can't go do the things that I wanna do. Isn't that horrible? Your brain is gonna go, yes, you're right. It's horrible. And it's not gonna be wrong, right? But if you ask the question, what can I do today that would make me feel happy and joyous? Your brain's gonna go, yes, there is something that you can do today that makes you happy and joyous. And hopefully it'll fill in the blank for you. Sometimes you have to ask it a more specific question. Uh, about what you can do. But um, it will answer the question, yes. And I think it is especially important during these times when so many people are reporting depression that before you get to the point where it's not possible to think this way, because that happens in depression, right? Uh, to exercise this muscle and ask yourself every day, what can I do today that would be fabulous? What could I do today that would make me feel like I'm living my best life? What could I do today to make me um, feel like I'm worth it? Like, what are the questions that you are struggling with? Flip them uh, and enjoy the passage of time because if you are living in today and saying, what can I do today? And it might be taking an extra long shower or maybe taking a second shower. I know water's important, but, uh, and it's a, there's a shortage, but ask yourself, what can you do? I, I always think about this around my birthday because uh, many years ago when things were rough, I mean, rough, 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 rough. My husband asked me what I wanted for my birthday and there was no money to buy anything, right? And nor did we need anything, right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't about that, but he said, what would you like for the day? And I said, to be honest, if I'm really being honest, I need some alone time. If you could take Jem to school and disappear for the day and pick him up after school and take him to do something after school. And then at five o'clock, bring back dinner. Cause then I, from five o'clock on, I'd like to spend the time with you guys, but I don't want to have to cook or plan or think the entire day. Um, and so I just want to have the day to myself to do whatever I would like to do with it. And I didn't want to plan for myself for that day, but you know, what's funny is that I got up in the morning and I went for a hike. I'm not a hiker. I'm not even an exerciser, but that was what I wanted to do. I went for a long hike and I listened to the 80s music that I wanted to listen to. And I came back and I made myself 
a lunch that looked like it came from a spot. It was like the healthiest thing I'd eaten in three years. Um, and then I listened to some music and danced. Like I did all these things that are, don't seem like me, uh, that were very physical and taking care of myself and self-care and gave myself a mani-pedi and, you know, took a bath. It was like being at a spa by myself. I wrote all these great things that, and I was like, wow, look, when I have time to myself, I actually take care of myself. It's crazy. Um, and then of course I came home and it was, and I wanted to see them. I'd had my alone time and I was so grateful to see them and have lunch with them and or dinner with them in that case. Um, but um, it's important that we put something like that in for ourselves every day. I'm not good at that, but I'm asking all of us to get better at it because we, we need to not just wish this time away. We need to enjoy, th this is it kids. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is our lives, even with COVID, even with shutdown, even with seclusion, this is our lives. We've got to be enjoying it. Okay, which leads me to our guest and I'm hoping upon hoping that he's figured it out and is with us, um, but I'm afraid that he's not. Um, but we are being joined today by artist and author, Michael Tolson Robles. And he is an amazing gentleman that I had the pleasure of meeting many years ago. You know who introduced me to him? It was Joanne Laura, uh, my good friend, Joanne Laura, because she was having him perform at uh, the Temple Grandin and Friends event that she did at the Nokia Theater a million years ago. And then I, uh, so I got to see Michael paint, which was life-changing, right? And I got to meet him briefly and, and we stayed in contact. And then I had the pleasure in New, or New Orleans a million years ago, uh, it was 2016, we had booths at the Autism Society of America uh, conference in New Orleans. And so our booths were just like sitting catty corner to each other. And, you know, there's downtimes in between rushes. So I got to spend like four days with Michael and hang out with Michael. And I got to watch him paint. I'd be in my booth and he'd be in his booth and he'd be painting and I'd be talking to parents and I'd be like, look what he's painting over there. Uh, but he is a lovely, lovely uh, human being and a brilliant painter. So I hear that Michael is here. Can we get him to start his camera and his, um, his sound, uh, Traven? There he is. There it's I am. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear me, but I was just saying how much I adore you and what a wonderful person you are and what a brilliant painter you are. Um, and how I, I was just reminiscing about the fact that it was Joanne Laura who introduced me to you. Um, and so we're remembering Joanne very fondly this morning because yeah. you're just one of the many gifts that Joanne presented to me. So first of all, Michael, how are you? I'm having a lovely time in Mexico. Well, we have to talk a little bit about that because you you did move to Mexico um, and have opened your studio there. Are you is this your studio where you're at right now? This is it. It's beautiful. I'm loving that orange wall, but I'm loving the paintings on it more. Um, and you, your story, I just don't even know where to begin. So tell our viewers a little bit about you and when you discovered that you were A, on the spectrum and B, a brilliant painter. Well, I don't know about the brilliant painter, but I, I, well, I said so. <laughs> <laughs> I said so. Uh, when did that happen? 
Yeah, it's a truthfully, I was trying to be a loving husband and my, my partner was uh, doing charcoals and pastels. I wanted him to paint. I said, uh, please paint and he wouldn't paint. He, he would do charcoals and pastels. So I finally said, okay, if you paint, I'll paint. And I thought that I would put myself on the line, be vulnerable. And what happened is we could both paint. Isn't and nice? not only could we paint, we could paint from the first paintings we painted, which is the gifts of autism. That is the savant abilities we have within us. Now, at, at that point, I'm, you know, I'm already in my early 50s and I've never painted. My third painting was in a gallery in Houston, sold for $4,100. Wow. And wow. It, but you know, the thing is I'm autistic. I don't know. You know, the thing yeah. is for those of us on the spectrum, unless we have a point of reference, we have no way of making sense of the information. So here I am, I'm getting in art galleries. I have less than 20 paintings. I'm getting in art galleries. I'm selling art. I'm painting paintings in just a very short period of time. It's normal. It's normal because who do I have to compare it with? No one. I don't live in a, an artist community. I don't have association with galleries. I don't know that I am unique in any way. Well, it's been, it's been eight years of painting. And probably at this point, I'm at 1,400, 1,500 paintings. Wow. And usually, uh, if they're very abstract, kind of uh, the horses that you've seen a lot of. Oh, yeah. They're done in under an hour. If, uh, if they're more detailed, they may take me two, maybe three hours by really fuss with them. But yeah. that is, that's unheard of. It's just unheard of. I think what's crazy to me, Michael, in the time that I've known you, first of all, when you performed at that um, Nokia event, the Temple Grandin and Friends event, I want people to understand they had a musician who was on the stage and they put a ginormous canvas on the stage and a bunch, bunch of buckets of paint. And in under 12 minutes, Michael, you know, he would paint with like four paintbrushes at a time and he was throwing paint on the canvas while we listened to the music. And it was fascinating to watch him work, but I just thought it was gonna be, you know, uh, a Pollock if you will, that it was going to be like just a mess of colors and it was beautiful. And then all of a sudden you heard it go through the audience. People like, you know, I, I love to go to horse racing events because you hear the, the murmur, murmur, murmur as they come around the final turn and you heard people go, oh, 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 oh. and the audience just started, I'm getting goosebumps from memory. The audience just started cheering because on the canvas appeared this horse, this technicolor, beautiful rainbow horse that was as clear I mean it was just crazy Michael and everybody went nuts it was it was just so fabulous and it was like how on earth you know it was performance art it was absolutely amazing so I was like wow this guy is so talented he's so wonderful that he can just do this but then over the years as I've watched you do like crazy realism too Michael it's just like I just don't know where your talent ends. It's it's just like the horizon on it keeps moving. And, I, and I've watched you go through different periods where you know, that you've got your horses and we can see some of them behind you. But then you went through a series of people with umbrellas in the rain. <gasps> Michael, they're just so fabulous. They're my favorite. 
And then a couple of years ago, you got into your woman alone phase. Oh, good goodness. I mean, it's just, and now I'm looking at these clouds behind you. What is that? Is that a new phase you're doing? Michael. No, I just, I love, I love sky. Well, here's the thing. Autism. Everyone thinks we don't feel that we are so just like void of emotion. The opposite, the opposite is true. I'm so empathic. I so, I feel things and I feel them so deeply. So, you know, we're going through some rough times. It's, you know, right now I moved after the election, I moved out of the, the country. Uh, we have a pandemic. We have all these things that are so impactful. And for those of us that are uh, empathic, they're so hurtful. I mean, we, we are feeling the pain of the world. So the, the rain paintings come about because there's someone that is walking in the elements protected. Uh, and the umbrellas are my symbol of whatever we hold that protects us whether or not it's faith, whether or not it's science, whether or not it's family, that is what protects us. And sometimes, like I just did a really lovely painting of an older woman and man walking, and mm -hmm. it's, they're protected together as a unit. And so that's where that came about. The women series came about because I feel a real affinity for women. I, I, women are able to express emotion, men, it, it's a terrible thing. Men are castrated to the point of not being able to be emotional. And that's what society does to them. Mm -hmm. So while I'm very emotional and why I'm really connected to my emotions, I'm not going to find anyone that I can look at and say, that's the emotion I'm, I'm feeling. When I look at a male, I feel it in females. So even though the female that I paint has all these emotions, Mm -hmm. It is it is emotions that travel throughout humanity, male and female. It's just men will not show it. So I love showing the feelings in women. I love it. Well, we have to talk about the fact that you you have your gallery, but people can view paintings online and even purchase your paintings online. You you know you you are a, a very well known and received artist now, so your paintings are not inexpensive. They are prized art. Um, so well, we have I don't to know. We that. have COVID pricing now. <laughs> well, well, still, I'm just going to be honest that you know, for a lot of us, um, you are also very generous, and you frequently donate paintings to be auctioned and things yeah. like that. And and for some of us, that might be where we have the potential to own your artwork. But it is. It is art and it is it is very valuable and uh, remarkable. But I have to say it's that you have in these phases, I think there's something for everyone. Um, just absolutely stunning. I saw one the other day that you did. In fact, I think I put it on our postcard that um, uh, I don't, I wanna say that there wasn't a human being in it, which, but it was like a landscape with, it looked like a farmhouse across a field. Yes. And I thought, okay, now Michael's doing that kind of thing too. I'm just always interested to see where, where you go next. It's fascinating. Yeah. We're autistic. And the, the thing is that we get bored. You know, that's the thing. It's, it's such an oxymoron. On the one hand, we love routines. Like when I get up and I make my coffee in the morning 
every little thing is exactly where it goes because that's where it goes when I make coffee. And I know where to get the spoon and I know where the sugar is and I know where the pods are. But when we express ourselves, we're bored. So particularly for my art, for where I go, I mean, here I am, 14, 1500 paintings. I'm not gonna do the same thing. I'm not gonna do what you saw in any of the events I'm in. You're not gonna see me that recreate it over and over and over again, I can't do it. Right, why so would I, you? Yeah. Oh, I just died, I would just die. I mean, I can't even, I can't even vacuum the floor because it's doing it twice. <laughs> or make the bed, you know, it's lucky I'm living in Mexico. I can have someone make my bed for me. So it's, 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 so for me, the art evolves and I'm constantly pushing. And it's weird because it's a savant gift. I didn't train, it's just there. So what I wind up doing is I say, I'm going to challenge myself today to paint whatever. And sometimes it is really, really intricate. And, and I'm thinking, well, how am I ever gonna paint lace, or, you know, a, a sheer lace on an arm? But the autism does it. I've never done it before, but it paints it. If you say I'm a great painter, which you had. I think you're a beautiful, fabulous, talented, exquisite painter. But I'm not. I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel that holds a brush and autism paints. Well, I honor that you are are allowing it. And I I want for the people who are listening and watching the show today to hear this, because a lot of times, you know, parents get frustrated because they haven't found out what their kid's interest is when they're seven. And to hear you say that you didn't find it until in your fifties, what was your life like before you found painting and before you knew that you were on the spectrum? Well, it's funny you asked that because just recently within the last couple of minutes, I've been approached to write my memoir. Yes. And it was an independent publisher that works on books that actually impact humanity. Mm -hmm. So they only do a couple of books a year and they stand behind them and they they come with book tours and lecture tours and all of that. But my story is so interesting that I was asked to write my life. Now I'm gonna tell you to revisit everything within a lifetime and to refill all those emotions is a lot. Yeah, yeah. The, the ultimate thing is you're seeing who I became. But what was before was, was traumatic. I was uh, abandoned by a birth mother. I had adopted parents that were cold and distant. Mm. Uh, I had sexual abuse by, a, by an elementary school janitor. And it went on for like three years. So uh, I was also had some sexual abuse by an uncle. Uh, I, because I'm autistic and because I'm in pain, because of, of not being diagnosed and, and being confused and being on the, the high functioning, high IQ side, I didn't fit in. And so through the 80s in New York City, I drank and drugged myself to self-medicate. I'm not an addict, uh, but... I was very, very lonely and very, very hurt. So I spent a great deal of my time uh, drinking and drugging. Now, as far as New York, I had really interesting times. I was running around with people from the village people and people out of movies and Grandpa Munster. You've got stories, Michael. I can't wait to read this book. 
You've so, got stories. But the thing is, like you said, it's like, what was my life like? Typical, typical person that that functions within the, the the neurotypical world. Two to three years on any job, usually a different type of job because we we get bored, so we want to be rechallenged with something else. We're we're very uh, very high IQ, so we we assimilate and we learn the job very quickly. Uh, but then because we, we ascend so quickly in a company, then our bosses get threatened and then they start worrying about whether or not we're going to go after the job. Wow. We don't socialize. We won't go into a conference room and eat pizza with everybody and talk about T-ball and cell phone plans. Yeah. So we take our food and we run to our little cubicle or wherever it is and we hide. We hide from people. We don't want to socialize. Meanwhile, we're brilliant in our job. But, but what it amounts to is when it comes time to let someone go, no one's getting warm and fuzzies over me because I'm not socializing. I'm the person let go. Wow. And if I'm not let go, then I will have done everything within that particular job description to the point that now I'm bored and I want a new challenge and I'll quit anyway. So I've done, I've done uh, wallpaper hanging. I've done... Uh, I was a paint contractor. I was a warehouse manager. I was a, a liaison in, in New York between a design company and the architects. Uh, I did some light construction. I did retail. It's so interesting because all of those things sort of will, you know, help you to be a better painter, but it's a very circuitous route to it, right? Or your or those hidden painting skills were adding value to what you were doing. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but it's kind of fascinating. And I hope that people hear this because I know that there are um, folks that are on the spectrum that are watching that haven't found their place like you have found. They haven't found their happy place. And I want them to hear that sometimes it doesn't come easy okay. and sometimes it doesn't come early. This is what I say, and I say it every time I do a keynote, anytime I have a chance to talk to a group. I found my light in my 50s. Mm. I didn't even know I had a light. Mm. So when you have a parent who's looking at their child, when there's just an autistic by themselves feeling isolated or, or without value, there is something within us. Each of us has it. I don't know when we'll find it, I was in my 50s. In addition to that, I also found my husband, who's also autistic, who's also an artist, who's also brilliant, in my 50s. The first healthy relationship I've had. But to, to put a fine point on it, he also did not know. He also did not have a diagnosis, but he was dabbling in art a little bit, or did he not know he was an artist? That was the charcoals and pastels. So we both started to paint at the same time. He's a brilliant artist. And, yeah, you know, the thing is that I think for those of us with autism, we need people that understand we're different. And then instead of trying to change us into their normal, if they'll look at us, nurture us, Give us the tools we need to find our gifts. Yeah. That's what we need. Give us patience, give us room, give us uh, isolation if that's what we need in order to, to reboot to be able to do something to 100%. You know, yeah. we're just not given the tools that we need usually. 
Uh, I, I've known families that have tried to help their children be normal. Yeah. Well, normal is what's in us. Normal yeah. is what we get up feeling every day. We don't need to be normal like everybody else. We need to be our normal. And yeah. part of that means that everyone else has to recognize a different normal and respect it. Yeah. And Amen to that. And I'm, for all of them. I mean, for well, all of them. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I no, honestly, I I love what you're saying. And you know that I agree with you hundred percent, a hundred and you know, a million percent. When I first met you and was getting to know you, you were going through a rough patch because you are in several different categories in which you could easily be misunderstood. Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're, uh, I don't know which words you use, but you are, do you, I don't, do you use the word gay? What word do you use? I use gay. I, I'm old school. I'm, you know, it's back, back in my day, there was, there was gay, lesbian. And, and now, of course, there, there's so many other designations and there is respect to different views. Now, exactly. the one thing that, that I don't know if you know it, but I know a lot of people are not aware of this. The LGBT community has a higher percentage per capita in the gay community, in the autistic community than in the general population. Yes. In fact, we're going to be covering a news story tomorrow that talks about the fact that individuals who are on the autism spectrum are more likely to be transgender than the general Absolutely. population. Um, and that there, there's a very definitive study that's come out on this. And we, uh, I don't know if you have seen the short film, um, Boys Don't Wear Dresses, uh, that was done by friends of ours. Um, and we just were talking about this recently on the show. Uh, about the fact that the autism community needs to wake up to this. Parents need to wake up to this and be aware of this. And I want, you know, for us to be accepting our kids um, where they are, who they are. So uh, because, yeah, go ahead. Here's what I'm seeing a lot of. I'm seeing a lot of gender fluid autistics. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons is society cannot put us in a box because we're already out of the box. So in that way, when someone says, little boys do this, little girls do that, this is who you're attracted to, this is how you date, we don't get it, we don't get it. If we're allowed to be the normal we are, we tend to be very fluid. And uh, particularly the women I find in the autistic community are very fluid. They fall in love with a soul. And then that soul, is in a vessel and then they figure out what to do with the vessel because the vessel is only a vessel. Yeah. When, when you fall in love, it's with a soul to soul. And I think that we're so fortunate. I'm the autistic community is so fortunate to be able to be at a place where they can say, okay, I am attracted to that person. I don't know what it is about them and they can pursue it without worrying what their mother, father's gonna say, what society's gonna say, what the preacher's gonna say, who cares? I'm in love. Yeah, and that should be celebrated. And I'm sure that there are some of our viewers who are watching or listening who find themselves feeling uncomfortable right now. And I want, I want to say to those folks, and I wanna hear what you wanna to say to them too, Michael, but I wanna say, if you're uncomfortable, own it and ask yourself why. 
and start to dig into why that is. But I think it's important if you're uncomfortable, we need, if any of us are uncomfortable, we need to look at ourselves and not hang that uncomfortable on anyone else. Well, here's think, the thing. Yes. We are our own people. All of us are our own individual people. I happen to have an 11 year relationship with an autistic man who also is an artist, but he's a man and I'm a man. And the two of us have found love and, and a relationship that even my, my straight friends sometimes envy. Yes. The thing is that no one's asking anyone to change themselves. We're just asking to be respected for who we are. So the thing is, anyone can be uncomfortable. Yes, own it. But then own it and say, even though I'm uncomfortable, I have no right to change another person. I have no right to try to drag someone into my normal when their normal is they're in love with the same sex or yeah. someone transgendered or who knows? It, it's, there are so yeah. many variables. I think when, when, when the world does good perspective taking, it's very clear. Because for me, all I have to think about is what if the shoe were on the other foot and somebody was telling me that I was not allowed to love my husband, that, I, that those feelings were not appropriate, I would be lost. I would be absolutely lost. I would not want anyone to tell me what I could or couldn't feel about him. So I don't have the right to tell anyone else. And, and what people have to understand about this particular period or what they may be feeling, this is not a new scenario. This has been a long history of, you cannot love someone of a different race. You cannot love someone of a different religion. You cannot love someone from a different country. This has a long history. And, and all of these things manifest themselves. But the bottom line is, do we respect people for their differences and allow them to be adults and have their own decisions in their life? And that's what we need to do. I don't need to do anything uh, that anyone else does unless I want to do it. But then it's responsibility for myself. And everyone should feel that. My responsibility, my life, everyone else is free to do what they do. But you've sort of stepped into the public light and you have owned who you are in a way that is beautiful and empowering, Michael. Uh, you, have, you have owned that you love who you love. You have owned that you are, are someone whose brain works in, you know, uh, in a specific way because of autism. Uh, you have owned that you are a painter and that you are painting, you know, what you think and see and feel, and you've been persecuted for it. Let's just say that. Oh, you've been bullied. Um, you have had people who have not, not just thought things negative. You have had people say things and people try to hurt you and your livelihood as Absolutely. a result of it. And I've watched you, you know, say, I'm not going to tolerate this. You left a community that was being inappropriate and rude and horrible, and you left the country. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's no small thing. No. Well, here's the thing. I'm biracial. I'm half Mexican. I'm half uh, European descent. So I grew up in a Texas town with a railroad track running through town, separating the Mexicans from the Caucasians. Okay. So already I'm growing up in a weird place. Uh, I wound up being gay and recognized, I, the first signs of it, I can really recognize at, at you know six, seven, eight years old. So, I mean, it was there, it was there. Uh, 
I was autistic. Now, while that was not diagnosed, it was definitely something that isolated me and made me different. Uh, all of those things changed me and how I view other people. Now, while I was spinning around with a high IQ, my uncle, who was adopted into our family, was brain damaged and was very challenged. He gave me a way to understand that there's a spectrum that we all live in. And when I have a conversation with you right now, my, my way of talking with you is peer to peer. When I speak to my uncle, I don't change that. It's peer to peer. I change the way I speak in order to accommodate his comprehension. Mm -hmm. And that is respect for him. When I'm at an autism uh, event, uh, a conference, whatever, I don't know who will be coming up to speak to me, but they are should be respected for whoever they are and for whatever abilities they have and whatever comprehension they have at that time. It, that is truly what we should do. This is who we should be. Yes. And I, you know, I, I mean, I started by saying you're just a really lovely human being. You have an open heart. Anybody who stands within 10 feet of you feels it. And we see it all the time in your paintings. I, we, we've had technical problems this morning and I don't know, Traven, whether you were able to put up some of the paintings or not, but Michael, we've only, we're running, we've got like three minutes left, less than that. We need to give the website so people can know where they can go to look at your paintings and have their breath taken away. So where do they go? Okay, first of all, I am gonna mention, yes, it is COVID and yes, I, I'm being much more generous with my pricing, but okay. you are right. It's not, you're not gonna get very low, low pricing. No, the no, other no. thing I do is I do offer layaways. So if someone wants to just pay as able, when they can put a few bucks down, I do it all the time. In fact, okay. most of my paintings sell that way. Okay. The, the website is uh, www.michaeltollison.com artist.com. Uh, so it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-T-O-L-L-E-S-O-N artist, A-R-T-I-S-T. Have I been pronouncing your last name wrong all these years? I've been saying Tolson, but it's Tolleson. Tolleson. I, I beg your pardon. I've been saying your name wrong over and, and over and over again. And actually, it's really funny because uh, with Mexico, uh, the names are paternal, maternal. So I'm able to use my mother's maiden name. So I'm Michael Tolleson Robles because I'm half Mexican heritage. And it's interesting that everyone here calls me Mr. Robles. Interesting. So you're loving Mexico. I am. You know, the people are very giving, loving. Now, I, I have some pain about Mexico because the autism community is not supported the way it should. Yeah. Um, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I may, I have this dream of maybe even starting a school uh, okay. here in order to, to assist. Uh, probably someone as high functioning as I am wouldn't even be recognized as autistic in, in Mexico. Yeah. And you know, people don't, you know, it's Anthony Hopkins got diagnosed 10 years ago. Now, how do I explain to someone in Mexico, Anthony Hopkins is also autistic? Yeah. Uh, or even to the gift of this art. I mean, it, for them, it's, it doesn't look like someone who has a challenge, so. No, and you know, I remember, I mean, I saw you paint and I was like, okay. 
but then, and then talking to you and I was like, okay, wow. Cause you are very articulate and you are very, I mean, a lot of the stereotypes that we think of having to do with deficits, um, you've overcome, you make great eye contact. You, I think you are Not one of the more, okay. But you are one of the most social people. I watched yeah. you at a conference. You're one of the most social people I know. Um, but I definitely spending time with you. I mean, I get to see and hear you are so articulate that you tell me how your brain is looking at things. And I go, oh, okay. See, my brain doesn't look at things that way. Um, the thing is, okay. So we spend time at a conference. I have a three day social hangover after that. Yeah. Can I be honest? I did too. Uh, I, I like, I, we stayed, uh, that week in new Orleans, we stayed and, and for part of it, we just hung out in the hotel room. Cause I needed to decompress from that. Uh, but I believe it. Cause that was intense. That was a pretty good conference and that was intense, but Michael, we're, we're out of time and I've so enjoyed this visit and I want to, it's on my wish list to get down to Mexico and visit you and see what you got going on there. Uh, because it just looks like your little slice of paradise. And it makes me so happy to know that you're there and safe. Well, the, um, the Merida is the second uh, safest city in the world wow. behind Quebec City. And it's, it, it is, there are no guns here. There's no crime here. The people are lovely. Well, if, if things go wrong here in November, I might be sending my son to you. So I'm going to stick him in a suit. I'm going to stick him in a suitcase and send him to you and be like, uh, Michael, keep my son while things uh, calm down. Because, uh, you know, whoo, it's a crazy world we live in. Crazy world we live in. Crazy time to have a 17-year-old. Ooh, not, not my favorite thing. But anyway, I love you. I'm uh, Please give my love to everybody there. Um, and I'm so glad that you guys are well and in your, your little cocoon churning out beautiful works of art. It's such a, it makes my heart pitter patter. Very good. I hope everyone goes on the website. If nothing else, just to look at the art. Oh, you got to look. I, we had some, but we were having trouble this morning interfacing with it, but go and look. You can only see a little bit behind you, but I'm telling you, go go get your heart lifted and, and flutter around you for a little while and know that Michael's doing these fabulous things. We love you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I'm, we're over time, you guys. So I just want to say tomorrow on the show, uh, we have Leah Hirschfeld is going to be with us. It's Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We've got some news stories for you. And Leah Hirschfeld is going to bring us some late-breaking research that you're going to want to know, plus more. Uh, so until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>